Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this morning, ready to study the Bible, and we're going to study it for the next 30 minutes by answering your questions. That's what we do on this program. You'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, we get real direct questions about a verse. What's this mean? We, we get the, tell us what this doctrine means. We get questions about, is this really in the Bible? And we'll try to find answers to any of those kind of questions or maybe something in your life that you wonder what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, we'll try to give you the principles from the Bible. So give us a call or log on. Let us know what you'd like us to be discussing on Know Your Bible. Toby Levering's back. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. I'm Steve Tandy, and we've got uh, some good ones saved up for you here today, but you'll always get one first. So here's our question for our viewers. Who was the first apostle martyred? Uh, last week we asked who was the first Christian martyred, and that was Stephen, but this one's who's the first apostle who was martyred, and we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Now, it looks like Toby drew number one, so you get to start us off. Yes, sir. Okay, the first question we have is, does the Bible say anything about premarital sex being wrong? Uh, yes, the Bible does say that, although it doesn't exactly use the term premarital sex. The term that the Bible uses is sexual immorality. The original word being in the Greek being pornea, which is, is a broad term meaning any sexual misconduct uh, with a person. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul's very specific. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual, sexually immoral person sins against his own body. <clears throat> now, sex... Just so we understand, we are talking about premarital sex. Sex, of course, in the marriage covenant was designed by God and it brings a husband and wife together physically and emotionally and spiritually. I think it's part of the process of two becoming one. So sex is not a bad thing. The Bible speaks quite openly uh, in several places about sex between a husband and wife, but we're talking about premarital sex or sex outside the marriage, marriage covenant between a man and a woman. And then, in that case, it would fall under the case of pornea, or uh, another word for that is uh, premarital sex, or sex between two unmarried people is fornication, sexual immorality. The word pornea includes fornication, uh, sexual idolatry, adultery, um, prostitution, homosexuality. All of these fall under pornea or sexual immorality. So sexual immorality of any form, whether you're talking about premarital sex or any other of the ones that we listed, is not what God desires. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, which says, But among you there must not be even a hint 
of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So um, that's the answer on sexual immorality, and I hope that uh, helps you in your study. All righty. A question about uh, Jesus between his death and his resurrection. The viewer says, I've been told that Jesus descended into hell for three days between his death and resurrection. Is that true? Uh, well, the short answer is no, that's not true. Uh, I'll explain where the idea came from. It came from a bad translation, basically. Uh, only the King James gives us that idea. Uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 31, I'll read it to you from a more modern translation, the NIV in this case. And in Acts 2.31, it says he's uh, speaking about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Now, that phrase there, not abandoned to the grave, is a pretty good translation, but the King James translated that, his soul was not left in hell. Okay, so people have read that for hundreds of years, and uh, that come, helps them come up with the idea that, well, Jesus went to hell between uh, his death and resurrection. No, bad translation. The Greek word there is Hades, which just means the realm of the dead, uh, the place of the dead, where the dead people go, and that's completely different and then the Greek word for hell, the final resting place, the lake of fire, the place prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, so Hades and hell are two very different things. And Jesus' soul was not left in the place of the dead. It was resurrected, uh, was brought back to be resurrected with his resurrection body. Now, you say, well, I don't know Greek, so how would I figure it out? Well, the Bible agrees with itself all the way through. So we've got Jesus' own word on the fact that he didn't go to hell. Let's look at that verse on the screen, uh, Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. Uh, Jesus said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus himself said, we're not going to hell, we're going to paradise. And paradise is the good part of the place of the dead. Uh, that's where Jesus spent those uh, that period of time between his bodily death and his bodily resurrection. So his spirit was in paradise. So it is the answer there. He didn't go to hell between death and resurrection. All right. Speaking of translation uh, inconsistencies, uh, we have a question about the terminology. Are the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit the same or are they separate? Well, uh, they are referring to the same person. The Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit are the same thing. It's the King James translation, which will use uh, the old King James, which will use the term Holy Ghost. Uh, the difference is just one in the translation. Of course, the King James uses uh, 1600s English, uh, translated in 1611. And uh, there's not a real clear reason from our perspective. Spirit seems to be a better uh, translation, more uh, equivalent in our modern language today. All modern English translations will use the term Holy Spirit uh, whenever the old King James uses Holy Ghost. But if you are using King James and you see Holy Ghost, uh, it means the same thing as the, the Holy Spirit. So hope that clarifies for you. Sometimes the differences in translations can be a little confusing. Yep. 
All righty, let me take just a moment and uh, tell you about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we like answering questions, and we hope it helps you learn a little bit of Bible, but uh, we only have 30 minutes a week, and uh, there's a whole lot of parts of the Bible we never even get close to. Uh, but you can in your home Bible study, your individual Bible study, and we try to encourage that, and we try to help you with that. So we've got some Bible study tools that we're happy to give you absolutely free of charge and help you get more familiar with your Bible. Now, this is the first set of lessons we have. It's real basic. It's a good overview of the Bible. And if you don't know much about the Bible, this will help you. If you know a lot, it will remind you of a lot of good things you learned in the past. Then we've got some more advanced courses that you can go into when you finish that first one. And uh, keep studying the Bible with our Know Your Bible <coughs> study tools. And we've added an online course for people that like to do things online. We've got some Bible courses that you can take that way. Just uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org or uh, get onto our website or give us a call and say you'd like that online course and we'll get it started for you. Uh, all great ways to study the Bible, uh, all good ways to form a regular habit of Bible study, we think. So give us a call, log on, and let us know what you'd like to study with us. All right, got a very interesting question here. All our questions are interesting, but this viewer says, uh, can you change churches, uh, like from Catholic to Baptist? Is that wrong? Well, let me answer the first part first. Yes, you can certainly change churches. Uh, nobody says you have to stay the same all your life. Uh, and whether it's wrong or not, my first thought was, well, it probably depends who you ask. If if you ask the church you're leaving, they'd probably say that's wrong. Uh, if you ask the church you're going to, they'd probably say that's right. Uh, so that's a human thing that we'll talk about in just a second. But let me say this. You can change churches, but in the real world, there are consequences. Uh, the consequences of, of changing. Uh, some churches have a policy. They excommunicate you. Uh, they'll say, all right, you don't want to be a part of this church anymore. Well, you're, you're not a part of this church anymore. And we don't extend fellowship to you or communion to you. Uh, some churches, some religious groups physically shun people that leave. Uh, they won't have anything to do with them anymore. Uh, you take it to the extreme and cults and things like that, which really aren't true churches, but the ones that are more cultish, uh, they may destroy your life. They may do all sorts of things to you if you forsake uh, their teachings. So in, in the real world, there's some consequences to changing sometimes. Uh, now, that's a whole lot less than it used to be. Uh, today, people change churches pretty frequently and uh, don't pay much attention to what the churches teach. They just go to what they are attracted to and like and it's a nice building and they got good programs and i uh, got a safe place for my kids and I'll go to church there. Uh, so that's becoming much more common and belief in doctrine is probably less important today than it used to be. Uh, but let me wrap this up. All of those things I told you so far have been just because this real world has a whole bunch of different churches. Uh, it's a mess. And people figure out, well, this church teaches a little more truth than this one, so I'll go to this church or for some reason. Uh, and none of that's really biblical. Uh, 
uh, in the Bible, let me show you what Jesus said about changing churches uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said, I will build my church. Uh, you'll notice that's pretty singular. <laughs> Jesus only mentions one church. Uh, you're either in Christ or you're not. If you're a Christian, if you've done what he said and trusted him and obeyed him, you're in the, the church. You're in Christ's church. Uh, so there's no changing <laughs> churches in the Bible. If you leave Christ, then you go back into the world. That's the only option. Uh, and that kind of unity is obviously uh, far from what we do today. Uh, we've created all kinds of denominations, which is I'm naming this church different because we believe different, we act different, we teach different than this church. Uh, and that makes changing churches possible, but it's not really a biblical concept. The church in the Bible is one. <clears throat> Jesus talks about being in it, and that kind of unity is what he desires. Now, if you've watched Know Your Bible very long, you know that we advocate Christian unity. Uh, we believe that we could all be one if we just followed the Bible and not the creeds and doctrines of men, and if we didn't denominate ourselves by calling ourselves this kind of church or that kind of church. That's why we call ourselves the Churches of Christ. We belong to Christ, and we just want to be Christians only. Uh, that's our plea. Now, we certainly haven't got it figured out, and we don't do it right all the time, uh, but that is the right answer. Just follow what the Bible says, and we'd all be one. So, yes, in this world, you can change churches. Sometimes there's consequences to it. Uh, but before you do, consider that the Bible talks about one church, and if I was going to change churches, I'd look for one uh, that taught as close to the Bible uh, to that one church as I possibly could. So, yes, you can change churches, but beware of the consequences. All right, Toby, what do you got? Okay, a question about speaking in tongues. We get this uh, question on occasion. And they want to know, is speaking in tongues babbling? Well, biblically speaking, speaking in tongues is different than what we would call babbling. Uh, in the New Testament, there are a few occasions in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2, <coughs> Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, where we have occasions of speaking in tongues. Well, what does that mean? If you look at those instances, if they describe in detail the, the occurrence, in each of those instances, it was speaking an actual known human language under, capable of being understood by another human being, uh, but it was a language that they had not formerly practiced or studied or been trained in. Uh, they just all of a sudden had the ability to speak uh, in a different language. Some people are multilingual people, but to get that way, they study. They train, they learn the language, they learn how to use the words and, um, and all of the uh, intricacies of learning a language, and that's a skill. 
But what was happening in the Bible is that was God was uh, shortcutting that process and allowing people to speak in a language they didn't study or practice for. Uh, we can read one example of this in Acts chapter 2, which will be on the screen, verses 6 through 8. When they heard this sound, a crowd came, toge- crowd came together in bewilderment because each heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Okay, that gives us a real uh, insight to what speaking in tongues was in the first century. Uh, Today, what is in modern, uh, some modern groups who practice, and I'm going to use quotes, er, uh, speaking in tongues, uh, they babble. Uh, they speak in an incoherent. In fact, I looked it up. Uh, the 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 term is speaking in an unknown language in a religious setting. This is often practiced by Charismatics and Pentecostals, and and that's a far different. That's something you train you, even that, which is incoherent, means nothing. Uh, is something they have to train themselves to do. Something that they 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 get their mind uh, trained into basically a more infantile mode and they just babble as little infants do but there's no meaning to it there's no actual language being spoken and certainly not capable of being understood uh, by another human being that has any sort of meaning tongues speaking in tongues uh, as amazing of a gift as that was uh, we are told in the new testament that that was a gift of the early church that would not be with the church forever. And we find that in 1 Corinthians 13. This will not be on your screen, but if you're interested in the subject, you know 1 Corinthians 13 as the chapter on love, but it's really a chapter on spiritual gifts, a church that was really struggling with competition of using their spiritual gifts. And uh, Paul says the greatest spiritual gift is love. And in verse 8 of that chapter, he says this, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies they will cease. Uh, Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So uh, these gifts did exist, but they were different than how they exist today. And they passed away with the first century church uh, after the time that they were no longer needed. And so today's tongue speaking is is babbling, but it's not biblical tongue speaking (coughs) at all. I hope that helps you uh, in your study of the subject. All right, got a question about the Ten Commandments here. I'm confused how the Ten Commandments can say, Thou shalt not kill, and then God commands acts of killing. Well, all right, our viewers reading through uh, Exodus, perhaps, is where you run into this the first time. So let's look at a couple of verses from Exodus to make sure our viewers right. Exodus 20 and verse 13 says, You shall not kill. Now that's in chapter 20. Now go to chapter 21, and just a few verses later you find this, Whoever strikes a man so he dies shall be put to death. All right, so our viewer's right. God said in one chapter, don't kill. He said in the next chapter, kill somebody. So our viewer says, how does that work? Well, we've got to understand the, the, the words he uses and the whole teaching of the Bible. Uh, let's first think through it a little bit. Uh, If that commandment really was, thou shalt not kill, that's all we knew, is thou shalt not kill. I mean, literally, you have to take that to mean you can't kill anything. Uh, You couldn't kill a man. You couldn't kill a 
pet, you couldn't kill a wild animal, you couldn't kill a mosquito. Uh, so obviously it doesn't mean that. Uh, the trick is, it's not a trick, the, the answer is, uh, what Jesus, God was saying there was, thou shalt not murder. Uh, and that's a much better translation of what he was trying to say there, and the more modern translations have that. You don't murder. And our, as our viewer points out, we know that because the very next chapter, uh, he says, don't kill men. Uh, if you kill men, then you have to be killed. Uh, Genesis 9-6 established that when Noah came off the ark, and you read the whole chapter of Genesis 9. Uh, first, God said, I'm giving you all the animals to eat. They belong to you. You can eat animals. Okay? That means you have to kill animals. They're under your dominion. You can kill them and eat them. But, he said in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. So man is different. A man is not to be killed. Life is sacred. Human life is sacred. Uh, that's what the commandment means. Don't murder. Uh, don't kill men. But the penalty uh, for taking a person's life is you forfeit your right to live in society. You forfeit your life to live on the earth. You have to be killed. So that's why God did that. Don't murder. But Yes, you can kill animals, you can uh, kill nuisance animals or ones for food, and if somebody takes a human life, they have to be put to death. So that's the Old Testament law. We take just a moment to invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. Uh, we talked earlier about changing churches and what churches believe and all of that. Uh, the churches of Christ keep us on this air, there, on this program, uh, and they believe that the Bible's the answer to the unity problem. If we just all follow the Bible, we could be one. Uh, one of those churches of Christ is the home church of Know Your Bible we're talking about today, uh, the Northside Church of Christ up on the north end of Wichita, Kansas, uh, uh, up on North Meridian. You can stop in there and visit us anytime, and we'd be always happy to have guests that view the program and get to meet you. Uh, Northside's a great bunch of folks, got a lot of excellent programs. Uh, Thursday nights we have a Celebrate Recovery program that helps folks with uh, hurts, habits, and hang-ups. So if you're interested in something like that, check uh, check our website. Uh, come see us sometime. Uh, whatever market you're watching in, there's a Church of Christ near you. And we'd invite you to drop in and visit them sometime and tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Okay, a person asked the question, about uh, being born again. How do you know if you have been born again? Well, that is a phrase, being born again, uh, mean, or is a, a kind of a overused phrase in Christendom. And churches will use that phrase, and, and sometimes they mean it like the Bible means it, and sometimes they mean it just to say, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? And the Bible does use that phrase, but it was used to help us understand uh, not only what it means, but how to do it. Uh, the phrase, as far as I can tell, comes from a conversation that Jesus had with a uh, leader, a Jewish leader by the name of Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He knew who Jesus was. He was a smart man, an educated man. 
he was question, he had questions for Jesus, and so he came to him at night, and he and Jesus had this conversation, which John thankfully recorded. And we'll look at part of it on the screen from John chapter 3, verses 3 and following. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, in this phrase, uh, Nicodemus may be as confused as our viewer. Uh, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And so Jesus is clear here, and Nicodemus is saying, obviously you're not talking about physical birth. That's not possible. So tell me how one is born again. Jesus says, I'll tell you, you're born of the water and the Spirit. He's telling us that there's a, a, a process to this, and there's a way in which that happens. Uh, as uh, Peter would later write in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, uh, and this is not on the screen, but you can look it up at home. First Peter 1, 22 and following. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now catch this. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So the clue for us then is the key to being uh, born again is to listen to the Word of God. It tells us how to do it. And I'll give you some scriptures you can look up at home if you want to know how to do that. Uh, Acts chapter 2, 37 and 38. Uh, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Romans chapter 6, quite clear that if we have been buried with Christ in baptism, we will also be raised with Christ at the resurrection. So you can look those up at home. Jesus was clear. Water was in the plan. Now, it's not just about the water, and there's nothing magical in the water, but it's the point where Jesus said this journey begins. Uh, it's, we're saved by grace through faith, but how do we receive that grace, and when does that happen? Jesus says, when you have faith in me, you believe in me, you do what I say to do, and that includes being born of the water and spirit. And by the way, Peter says, when you're baptized, you receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So hope that uh, helps you just a little bit. That's how you know if you've been born again. All right, time for one more here. Our viewer wants to know, do you believe in the rapture? Uh, my short answer to that, I do not believe in the rapture, um, and by that I mean the concept that's taught in like the Left Behind series and the premillennial doctrine of uh, Jesus rapturing up uh, good Christians and then there's being seven years of tribulation and, and all of that doctrine. No, I don't believe that because I don't like that's what's taught in the Bible. I do believe in a rapture. Rapture just means being caught up, being transported. Uh, the word rapture itself is not in the Bible, uh, but the Bible does talk about us being caught up at the very end of time. First Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, says, With trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we are who are still alive, and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we're going to be caught up at the end of time, but that's all going to happen at once, the good and the bad, all going to be 
raptured or caught up at the same time. Uh, but that's very different than the doctrine of the rapture that we read about in modern uh, doctrine and modern books. So glad you've been with us today. We're going to answer our trivia question before we quit. Who was the first apostle martyred? That was James in Acts chapter 12. Glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.